No, no. Afambo Chamaka here. Omoha na po the Bukishibo girl. Hey guys. <laughs> Welcome to Reads, and Reviews. My name is Chamaka Him, your host and the Bukishibo girl. And today I'm actually going to be reading an excerpt from the book of the month for the Indulgent Bibliophile Book Club, which is the Sex Lives of African Women. Um, so I initially like um <laughs> first of all let me just say that um normally when I'm planning out my episodes I always like write down what I want to talk about, how I want to arrange them. But for this one, I'm just winging it. I already had a glass of wine, so you can already tell that I am on the tipsy side. Right. <laughs> Anyways, um, I recently just picked up um, The Sex Lives of African Women. And um, it's actually been an enlightening, like, it's been really enlightening, you know. And I don't know, I'm still in the first, um, the first... Uh, I think, I don't don't know if it's first aspect, I would say. But, you know, I'm still in the first part of it. And I just feel like the way everybody kept talking about how um, it was a lot of sex, a lot of, like, I don't know. I just, I don't know what people were expecting. But it's not really as in-depth in terms of sex as I thought it would. Well, like I said, I'm just in the first first parts and you know it's like i'm just let me just say i'm just winging it right so um uh so i'm actually going to just read like the first from the first um the first section of it uh i'm going to read from the first section and then I won't read so much because for this episode, I really just want to keep it short. And so far, so good. Like, I have been able to, I have been tabbing a lot. Like, I have been highlighting because I'm reading on my Kindle. So, also, it's, um, I got an arc from NetGalley since last year. And I never, ever picked it up. Like, I was supposed to, but I didn't pick it up. And then it became the book of the month. So, that it was the book of the month. Um, it, it was one of the books books for um for um what's it called now for the B- indulgent people of book club so i was like okay i needed to read it like really really read it so yeah um so it this is um the sex lives of um african women by Nana Dakora Sekiyama so it is a book on self discovery freedom and healing right i like it i really do like it um so i think we can start from the first section so like i said i'm not really going to take so first of all it's divided into three sections one part one is self-discovery part two is freedom and part three is healing so i'm still in part one i have read um I've actually read, I've gone past Nafi, Kaisha, Bibi, Ebony, Elizabeth. I'm currently reading Naisha's story. 
um so but yeah i'm going to start from the very beginning i'm just going to quickly go back and start from the very beginning but wait a quick question do we read prefaces in books i never really read prefaces but i read the preface for this one and i really liked it i liked how she explained the book and how she explained um her decision and her introduction into starting the book right so um so there's some so in this book there are some parts of it that um were written in italics 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 and so i think it's safe to say that that is the author's account her own account and the ones in like normal sun serif writings or something is that of the um that of the other of the people of the women she was interviewing so yeah i'm going to start reading right now so part one self-discovery at 22 i was technically a virgin this was in spite of the fact that Eric had told my boyfriend, Jeremy, six years ago, I fucked your girlfriend by a gutter near her house. The day I met Eric, I was walking down from Community 11 along the snarky bend of the road aptly named W Junction towards Community 10 in the city of Tema, Ghana. I had on my new favorite miniskirt that my aunt in the US had gifted me on one of her infrequent visits to Ghana. My mom was horrified by the skirt, a double stripe of faded denim with brass rings punctured through the second strip. It's all the rage in New York, my aunt explained when mom attempted to object to the gift. I wore it very I wore it every chance I got and was wearing it when the red sports car came hurtling around the side of W Junction and in what seems like seconds seemed like seconds overturned into a nearby gutter. I stood there like a mum, frozen to the spot. What should I do? There's no one else around. Is the driver hurt? As this as these thoughts tumbled about in my head, I saw a flash of red and blue as a smallish, light-skinned man extricated himself from the wreckage, only to start kicking the car in anger. I was still frozen to the spot when he saw me and ran over hey can you watch my car for me i just need to go and get my brothers to come help me i nodded still lots lost for words i was still in the same spot minutes later when he came back with a group of boys piled into the back of a pickup thanks for waiting for watching my car can i have your number his name was eric and i spent the rest of the summer hanging out with him We would spend all day together, and at dusk, he would walk me to my house, or I would walk him home. In the quiet spots behind the houses, or on the path of the road where the streetlights failed to come on, we would kiss with open mouths and tongues like I had seen on TV. Why do you kiss with your eyes open? he asked one day. And then, I knew that one must always kiss with eyes closed. By the time I met Fifi... I was ready to lose my virginity. At 22, it had started to feel like an unwanted weight that I was carrying between my legs. I no longer worried about being called a mattress 
or any of the names that guys gave girls they slept with. I had first-hand knowledge now that most guys, most of the guys were lying about the girls they had slept with. Besides, I now lived in London, where most girls my age were already sharing flats with their boyfriends. I don't remember much about the first time I had sex with Fifi, except that he fucked me three times. When I told my friend, she exclaimed, Weren't you in pain? I was, but I also believed him each time he told me. It will be easier the next time round. And in a sense, he was right. I don't remember much about the sex we had over the five years we were together. Our sex was vanilla. Missionary mainly. Me going down on him a lot. Me begging for the first three years of our relationship for him to go down on me. And then he found that I had cheated on him. Why did you wait for us to get married before you cheated on me? He asked. I had no words to offer him. If I had, I might have said, I spent years avoiding sex with guys because I didn't want anyone to gossip about me. I wish I had realized sooner that no matter what I did, guys would claim to have fucked me every way, every which way under the sun. I spent years scared that sex would result in pregnancy and that would mean dropping out of school and having my life ruined forever. I wish I had known about contraceptives and that sex could be enjoyed for its own sake. I spent years thinking that once I had sex with a guy, I would need to stay with him forever. And then, once I was married, I realized I should have done what a lot of guys are encouraged to do and sow my wild oats. I too have wild oats to sow. But I had no words to offer him. He had gone insane at the thought that this girl, this woman, whose body had been woolly his, had been possessed by someone else. And in his words, someone had put his dick where he used to put his mouth. Thinking about this over and over again made him hurl words at me in the middle of the night when we were sleeping or even in the park where we had picnics in a vain attempt to get back to how things used to be. What did you do with him? Tell me again. You enjoyed it, didn't you? Let's have sex now. Look, you're wet. Talking about him turns you on. You weren't wet before. Look at you. You're growing fat while I grow lean. One night, when he had reluctantly gone to work the night shift at his job, I packed a suitcase and left. I knew he would call me on the house phone just before midnight as had become his new habit. I made sure to live before that phone rang. I walked out of the relationship three times before I found the strength to live permanently. What I have learned over the years is that you don't discover yourself by sticking to well-trodden paths. You discover yourself by embarking on your personal odyssey, which is experienced differently by everyone. The journey towards self-discovery may be long and winding, but it is also one filled with the infinite possibilities that come with adventure. It is imperative to break out of the boxes circumscribed by society in order to discover to discover oneself and the multitudes we hold within us. This requires practicing an audacious form of bravery and often requires one to go against the grain of everything that had been presented as the norm. 
The women whose stories I share in this section speak to the quest that many women need to undertake to discover their true sexual selves. Sometimes, this involves a literal journey, like moving to another country for love, as was in the case of Noura, who married a man she had never met before and subsequently moved from Kenya to Senegal. For others, self-discovery requires stepping out of the relative safety of the familiar to explore different relationship models based on consent, openness and love. Getting to know oneself may even mean a reckoning with the gender that was assigned at birth. Travel features a lot in the stories shared here. Travel to a city where one can work legally as a sex worker in the case of Kuchenga, or in the case of Elizabeth, migrating from Lagos to London just as she was falling in love with her childhood friend. For many Africans in the diaspora, their very existence had been shaped by travel, the journeys their ancestors may have taken to the countries where they lived, where they currently live. They are forged not just by where they are immediately from, but also where they originated. This is visible in stories shared by Estelle, for instance, whose ancestors came from Africa, the Middle East and Europe, an ancestry that is visible in the colour of his skin and the texture of her hair. In many ways, we are all on a journey and are on different parts of the road towards our true selves and sexual freedom. The women in this section model bravery and vulnerability. They challenge us all to continue our own parts towards discovering our true selves, even if that journey remains an ongoing one. I met Noura on a trip to Senegal in January 2020. It was my last international trip before many countries started closing down their borders due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I had decided to take myself on a personal retreat to write, read and rejuvenate for the year ahead. My friend, the writer Aisha Haruna Atta, opened her home to me and my days consisted of waking up early to write, conducting virtual interviews and allowing myself to get lost while exploring the nature reserve and beaches of Popinguine. In Senegal, like in many other countries where I find myself, I have an almost ready-made African feminist community. One day, a Kenyan friend told me that she was going to visit a compatriot who had moved to Senegal and was now in a polygamous marriage and in need of finding a community of sister friends. I was intrigued, and I, my friend, and two other women made the hour-long trip to the town where Nura now lived. Over water and pineapples, Nora shared with us snippets about the romance that had led her to get married and move to Senegal at the age of 42 to start a new life in a country where she had no friends and did not speak Wolof, the dominant language. She was living in a flat owned by her sister-in-law and in a few weeks was going to move to the house where her husband lived with his other wives. She was keen to build a healthy relationship with the other women her husband was married to. I initially interviewed Nura before she moved in with her husband and reconnected a few months later to find out what life was like in a polygamous household. 
I was especially curious to find out what Nura's experience of polygamy was like because my parents were also in a polygamous marriage. Even though polygamy is legal in Ghana, over time it has acquired a tinge of illegitimacy due to the dominance of Christianity, which promotes heterosexual monogamous marriage as the only valid relationship structure. Yet, polygamous, polygamous practices are dominant in the country. My friend Kobina Graham coined a word foxonogamy to, des foxo foxonogamy to describe a practice where married men in relationships that are meant to be monogamous have multiple relationships without taking on any of the responsibilities that come with being legally married to multiple women. Nura. My sister wives and I have nothing in common. Well... That's not exactly true. We have his excellency in common. We're all married to the same man. Ishmael and I met in 2018 in Muzmach, a dating app for Muslims looking to get married. By then, I had been a convert for about four years, and I knew that I needed to expand my circle of potential suitors. I was born into a Muslim family and so I couldn't rely I wasn't born into a Muslim family and so I couldn't rely on my own networks to meet the kind of man that I wanted to be with. The Muslim men I met in my own country, Kenya, were incredibly conservative, and I wanted to meet a man who was more like me, well travelled, and with a global view of the world. When Ishmael and I started chatting, our conversations felt very easy. I found myself laughing a lot. He was also respectful. He didn't even hit on me. Around the same time, my aunt, who lives in Canada, has started a relationship with a Congolese man. She told me how much he adored her and how loved she felt. I started to wonder if this was just how Francophone men were. Then, Ishmael told me he wanted to travel to Nairobi to see me. I told him that I didn't want to meet him unless, unless we were meeting as, as husband and wife. And so, an imam married us online. When we met, I thought his pictures and even our video chats had not captured him accurately. He looks like the stereotype of a Senegalese man. Six feet tall and skinny. The phrase melanin popping was coined to describe him like, to describe people like him. He also has this air of a quiet, confident masculinity. He practices martial arts and is really strong. You wouldn't think he was in his late 40s if you met him. The first time we met, we spent four days together in a hotel. All we did was fuck and pray. That was really important to me. Sensuality and spirituality are two sides of the same coin. And I wanted to be with a partner I could lend the faith with from a place of curiosity and not oppression. I found Islam in my late thirties. I had been searching for a spiritual practice that spoke to who I am as a black African woman and in the Islamic faith, I found one that also spoke to the social and environmental justice issues that are important to me. When Ishmael left Nairobi, I was in a daze. I had found this man, married, and I had and had the most incredible bonding experience with him, and now he was gone. Two months later, I flew to Senegal and visited him for two months. He arranged for me to stay in an apartment owned by his sister. 
and the whole experience felt like dating while married. That period taught me that I can actually be committed to someone else. When you're legally bound to person, you do, you just don't work out on them. You have to show up not only for yourself, but for the partnership you're in. It's not a matter of, can I deal with this person? Because it's not about the other person changing. It's about how you deal with who they are intrinsically and how they're evolving. That initial experience taught me that you can love and care for someone even if they're very important, they're very different from you. Ishmael is a traditional man. He's always done what he's expected to do as a responsible Senegalese man. The most radical thing he's done has been to marry me. A woman who is in her 40s, an Anglophone, someone from a foreign country who doesn't speak Wolof or French and doesn't know his culture and traditions. The expectation in Senegal is that if a man is going to stray out of the constraint of who he is expected to marry, then he would be with a white woman. My biggest struggle is with the gender norms that I am expected to conform to. To look pretty but not too pretty. To sit in a corner quietly and not voice my opinions in public. To agree with my husband when we have an audience. That is not how I grew up. I am the firstborn of a single mom. My dad died when I was 16 years old. And so my mom was very clearly the head of the household. While I, as a firstborn child, had to take on a lot of responsibility. It pisses me off that I now have to perform this subservient role. Meanwhile, you only have to look at Islamic history to understand the active role that women have always played in our communities. Women actually went into battle with the Prophet, peace and blessings upon him. One of his wives was a scholar who taught women and men. There were women who were traders and so the idea that a woman's space is in the domestic realm and her role is to be docile is one that I struggle with. Our private life is completely different. We're playful when we spend time together. I feel like I can let my inner child out with him and that's very important to me. We talk a lot about faith and politics. He teases me about being an artist. He likes to say, I am a simple Senegalese man and you're a philosopher. People who know him in the outside world would be shocked to see what he's like private in private with me. Until a few years, I had absolutely no desire to get married. And then I converted. And with that came this deep desire for heterosexual partnership that shook me. I was never one of those girls who wanted to get married or who had visualized exactly what their wet future wedding was going to be like. The desire for marriage came from the healing that my faith brought me, including reckoning with the loss of my father. Prior to converting, I had never fully grappled with that deep hunger I felt for a father, and Islam allowed me to acknowledge that. I began to recognize that I was looking for my father in everything I did. Another part of the deep desire that I had for marriage was a need for companionship and sex. I also knew that marriage could give me a type of leverage, an opportunity that could help me move from one space to another. We live on a continent where our status as women is very precarious. I believe this applies across the board. 
because whether you're whether you're a bi straight or queer woman and so heterosexual marriage at least provides a measure of protection to women i think this is a question that black and african women need to ask themselves more often what can i do to preserve myself and my children in a way that allows me to move to the next level in 2019 december i packed up my life and moved to senegal I spent the first month living in the apartment of my sister-in-law so that my husband could finish building the place he had started constructing for me. Uh, sorry, hold on. Started constructing for me. In January 2020, I moved to my new home. The first floor flat belonged to the first wife and her children. The second floor to the second wife and her children. The third floor the latest addition to the building was mine. My husband has eight children between the ages of 20 years and six months. I have no children at all. It's been four months since we've been in this new arrangement and he hasn't been exactly what I expected. In hindsight, yes, I was naive. I assumed I would have some common values with my husband's wives, but apart from our faith and his excellency, we have nothing in common. My intention had been to cultivate a respectful, sisterly interaction, but instead I am met with a lot of passive aggressiveness. I am a stranger here. I don't speak Wolof or French, although I am learning. When I ask where can I go to buy a particular item, I am told, Don't you know? No, I don't know, otherwise I wouldn't be asking. Initially, I tried to befriend the second wife. I would even occasionally go and visit her until she decided to publicly shame my cooking. One day for our meal, I prepared fufu with a side of meat. And then loudly in front of everyone, she said, Where are the vegetables? Why didn't you add any to the meal? I didn't know I needed to add vegetables to fufu. I'm still learning how things are done here. Everything caters around the arrival of His Excellency. He spends two days in each household, and so the day before his arrival, I spend the day preparing. Whichever wife he's staying with is responsible for cooking for the entire household, and so I'll go to the market with my domestic staff and will buy enough food to feed the family for two days. The first time it was my turn to cook, I had someone make me chip, a popular Senegalese rice dish, and then... I made some mashed potatoes and chicken and sautéed a range of vegetables, eggplants, carrots and French beans. That's the kind of food we eat back home in Nairobi. Then I served everything in one large communal dish because in Senegal, everyone except for the man of the house eats out of one bowl. All the wives and children had arrived by then and so I set an individual played for my husband and went to inform him that dinner was ready. When I came back, half the wives and children had already left. They didn't even touch the food that had spent hours preparing. This has happened time and time again. It really gets to me because meals are not just what goes in your stomach. The process of cooking a meal is about creativity and the act of feeding others is about nourishment. When you spend over three hours cooking a meal and people come to eat, there should be conversation, laughter and joy. 
Instead, what I experience is very sterile. There is silence. Some people live straight away when they see the food. Others stay and pick at their plates. It's gotten to a stage where I'm even beginning to wonder if my husband eats my food out of mere politeness. One time, my husband was unwell. He was staying with one of the other wives and she had made him a meal that was supposed to be good for his health. He was due to visit me next and so I asked her if she could tell me the name of the dish she had made. She said no. In all of this, my husband has said nothing. He's either oblivious to what is going on or has an attitude of, I'll let you women figure it out amongst yourself. I also don't feel like I can raise this directly with him. I've told him in general terms that I find living here challenging, but it's not like I can say, your wife's a bit bitchy towards me. I'm very much aware that I'm the newest member of this household. I know that I am the one who is supposed to figure out a way to fit in and that I should be grateful that he have allowed me to come into their lives. I started out expecting there to be kindness between the wives. We're all women from this continent. Yes, we have different levels of privilege, but we all live in this male-dominated society. I feel like we could achieve much more if we walk together rather than against each other. I can imagine that in the case of the first wife, for example, she married Ishmael when they were both young. Chances are she was a virgin. They started a life together and then 20 years later, he married a second wife. And then after another five years later, he marries yet another wife. Even if that's part of your culture, that shit must hurt. I have no idea what my husband told his wives when he married me. I doubt that he asked their permission. He's not obliged to do so, and I never asked him what he told them about marrying me because that's about his relationships, and it's none of my business. One of the things that make me happy is that the children feel comfortable enough to come and hang out in my apartment. They walk in and out as they wish. Sometimes they come to hang out with their dad. Other times they come here even when they know he is not around. It is really important to me that children feel secure. And I want the children to know that they can always reach their dad or even come to me if they need anything. I don't know how the other wives feel about about the time the children spend, spend here. But it's important to me that they continue to see the space as one that they are also invited to share. Before my dad died, when I was still fairly young, he'd always been around. I grew up in a situation that is very different from this one. My friends were in a monogamous marriage, my dad and mom were extremely my parents were in a monogamous marriage and my dad and mom were extremely close. Sometimes it felt like they lived in their own bubble and we the children were just an extension of that. It's been a it's been a big stretch going from observing the marriage my parents had to this one. And yet there are many things that I like about my own marriage. I like that I don't have to see my husband every day. I don't even have to talk to him every day. This gives me a lot of time for myself. I can read, I can study, and I have the time to work on my art. To a certain extent, I am also comfortable. My basic needs are taken care of and I have my own flat and someone at home to help me with the work. Our sex life is also really good. I have no issues there. As a woman... I'm insatiable. 
I love to explore and sometimes I even ask myself if I am too much. One time he said to me, Oh my goodness, I'm so tired. I thought we were only going to have sex like once a month. I told him, that's not going to happen. Apparently, he had assumed that because I am over 40, my libido will be much lower than it is. On the contrary, I feel like I am just starting my sexual journey. Sexually speaking, it feels to me like this is the best chapter of my life. I am the most self-aware that I have ever been. I am flexible. I am juicy. I am up for sex whenever, however, whatever. Before my husband comes over, I make sure I am well rested. I get a good night's sleep. I drink lots of water. I drink lots of water. And I meditate. I make sure the house is clean. I burn lots of incense and I use my crystals so I am prepared to deal with whatever energies he may be bringing into the house with him. Sometimes you have to be ready to repel any negative energy that may be coming through the door with him. I work on my face and my body. I make sure I look good. I prepare for sex by performing these rituals that I was taught by Somali women. I burn some oud. And then I stand over the incense while wearing a long, flowy dress and use that to move the essence all over so my body retains the heat. When he comes home, I'm uncovered. I don't wear a head covering like I normally would. He arrives an hour before dinner. And so, that is also the time we have to ourselves before everyone else gets here. He already knows that that's our window to be intimate. that's it guys uh thank you so much for listening to me read um an excerpt from the sex lives of african women um this is not out on screen yet but you can also get a copy you can get a copy of it from Ruben heights and some other bookstores in nigeria i think and you can get it on kindle if you're about the ebook live but yeah, I think that is the book every woman should pick up and read, irrespective of, I mean, your sexual orientation, right? I guess, yeah. Um, thank you guys. Don't forget to share this podcast, this episode, like this one, and also subscribe on Google Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and also follow on Apple Podcasts. Also remember to please drop a review for me on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It would really go a long way and I would really, really, really appreciate it. Also, 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 I started my newsletter. Yay me! If you are not subscribed, you can click the link in the show notes to subscribe to my newsletter. And also I will be premiering my you first video on my youtube channel um on sunday the 24th and that is supposed to be today because this part episode is going up today yeah so you can click the link in the show notes to actually watch this um my first video and yeah message me on all of my social media platforms on bookstagram twitter and even instagram um i guess this is me <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening and i will see you in my next episode right dalu 
Cheers.